Most of the time, we don't remember what we were fussing about. Now, if you have that happen to you as a married couple, but there are times you fuss, and later on you can't even remember what you were fussing about. You ever had that happen to you uh, as a married couple? That's the case with most of our disagreements when it comes to my marriage to Claire. But there is one episode I remember. I was at work, and Claire uh, called me and said, Hey, tonight we're going to have hamburgers. You can grill the hamburgers when you get home. And I'm making roasted potatoes. She has this recipe for roasted potatoes that I love, the kids love. And so all day long, I'm thinking about hamburgers and roasted potatoes. And I get home, and I get the hamburgers. I'm cooking them on the grill. They're smelling great, looking delicious. And I walk inside and say, Claire, the hamburgers are almost ready. The potatoes are almost ready. And she went, oh. I forgot all about the potatoes. And I just need, need you to know that just for a moment, I flew off the handle. It was, more than I, it was more than I could bear. All day long, thinking about roasted potatoes, and, and we weren't going to have them that night. And I, I, just, I just had this moment uh, where my reaction was over the top. As a matter of fact, it was so over the top, we all started to laugh after a few moments. And, and it, it, my kids will even say to me this, these days, Hey, Dad, remember the time you got mad about potatoes? <laughs> there, are, uh, there are times when we disagree or have a quarrel with someone that we love, right? And what's true in marriage is also true in the body of Christ. There are times when people who love the Lord and love each other can disagree or have a quarrel or a disagreement, see things differently. And in our text this morning, we are going to see a, a quarrel that happened in the first century between two great Christian leaders. And it's found over in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. We're going to begin reading in verse 36. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. I'd like to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible is God's Word, and it is alive. And we trust that God's going to speak into our lives today from His Word. So look there with me. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. The Bible says, and after... Some days Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's pray together uh, this morning. Father, we truly believe that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Lord, this time will be will be fruitless if you don't move in our midst. And so, God, we ask you to draw near. We ask you by your Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts, help us to see the truths of Scripture clearly, 
and, and help us, Lord, to grasp those truths and help us to apply these truths to our lives, that we would be more than just hearers of the word. God, uh, help us to be doers of the word. Help us to live in obedience to you so we can glorify you with our lives. I pray that you would just speak with power, Lord. Anoint me with your spirit. Anoint the hearers. God, may we be transformed in these moments. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. We ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we've journeyed through the book of Acts, we followed Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. They were sent out from the church in Antioch in Syria. They went to the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean. Then they sailed over to Asia Minor and spent some time in different cities in that area. And then after this missionary journey, which was fraught with peril... Uh, They went through persecutions, they went through many difficulties, uh, but they saw many victories, they saw people saved. After this first missionary journey, they returned back to their home base of Antioch, the church there, and settled in for some ministry, reported about all that God had done, and began to teach and preach there in Antioch. And we're having a great time, but we saw last week that some false teachers had infiltrated the church in Antioch and other churches and were teaching that to be saved, you needed Jesus, but you also needed to to keep the law. You also needed to be circumcised if you're truly going to be right with God. And this was false teaching. And so uh, the church of Antioch said, let's send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to meet with other other apostles to see how we're going to deal with this teaching in the life of the church. And so Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem. Uh, They had what is now known as the Jerusalem Council, where they dealt with these issues and came to the right conclusions about the nature of the gospel. Uh, they, They reiterated that the gospel teaches we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But they did give some instructions to the believers that would exhibit selflessness in their relationships with one another so that they could keep harmony in the church. And we studied that last week, and after that conclusion was reached, uh, Paul and Barnabas traveled from Jerusalem back to Syria to the church in Antioch, gave them uh, the Jerusalem Council's decision, and then again settled in for some ministry. Uh, But then in verse 36, Paul and Barnabas have a conversation. Look what it says. In that verse, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, scholars identify this as the beginnings of the second missionary journey of Paul. And it begins with Paul saying to Barnabas, Let's go back to the cities where we went on our first missionary journey and check on the believers, the churches in those cities, in those areas. Now, we learn a very important principle here, and I'm going to camp out here because I've, I've shared this in so many different ways as we've worked our way through the book of Acts. But we see here the principle that it's important to follow up with new believers, right? There are these new churches all throughout Asia Minor, and Paul said, let us go and check up on them. I love the phrase, and see how they are. Can I tell you this? One of the most spiritual questions you can ask somebody else is this. How are you? How are things going? How are things going in your marriage? How are things going in your walk with God? How are things going in your family? How are things going in your church and your life? One of the most spiritual things we can do is check on each other, right? And say, how are you doing? And Paul said to Martin, let's go back and, and let's check on these churches, these believers in Asia Minor. So we see here the, the importance of follow-up for believers in Christ. But as they discuss this upcoming trip, they begin to disagree. And the disagreement centered on whether or not they should take John Mark with 
them. And so as this disagreement ensues and we study it, we learn some important lessons. This, this brief passage is full of important lessons for you and uh, me to learn. So let me just give you three groups of lessons that come from our text this morning. Number one, we see in this text some lessons about conflict. Lessons about conflict. And here's the first lesson that we need to learn. You ready? Good and godly people can disagree. Now notice who's having this disagreement. It says there in verse 36, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, and Paul and Barnabas have the conversation that ensues, and Paul and Barnabas disagree about John Mark. Now Paul and Barnabas were both godly men. Paul was a persecutor of the church, but on the road to Damascus, uh, the risen Lord Jesus encountered him. Paul gave his life to the Lord. He was saved, and he became a great preacher and teacher and missionary. God even uh, breathed through him by the Spirit to write down many of the books in our Bible. And so Paul was a great godly Christian leader, a, a, a theologian that played such a key role in the formation and expansion of the first century church. And Barnabas, I mean, you look at Barnabas's track record in Acts, Barnabas was an awesome guy. He was an encourager. As a matter of fact, his name means son of encouragement. They gave him that name because he was well known as an encourager. We see over earlier in Acts, I think it's Acts chapter 4, that Barnabas uh, sells a field and he takes the money to help needy people in the life of the church. And we see that at a critical moment, Paul uh, came to, I mean, Barnabas came to Paul and put his arm around him so that he would be accepted by the rest of the church. After Paul was saved, uh, the church was skeptical. They said, well, he's a persecutor of the church. He's just trying to infiltrate to learn who all the Christians are so he can turn on us and throw us all into jail. And, and the church kept Paul at arm's length until Barnabas came along. And Barnabas put his arm around Paul and said, listen, he is a believer. He's one of us. And he brought him into the fellowship of the early church. He was just an awesome guy, an encourager. Everywhere you see him doing ministry, he's encouraging, teaching about the Lord, preaching about the Lord, reaching out, making a difference. And so Paul was a godly man, and Barnabas was a godly man. And these two godly men, these two great Christian leaders disagree. It can happen. Good and godly people can disagree. Now, I think it's important to think about the lens through which they were viewing this situation. Paul was a man of radical commitment. We see that Paul was not a man of fear. As a matter of fact, on his first missionary journey, he was stoned in Derby and left for dead. And the Bible says he got up, he wasn't dead, he got up, and he went back into the city where they had just stoned him. That takes some courage, amen? And he's saying here in this text, hey, let's go back to all the places we were before. He wanted to go back to Derby. He was brave. He was radical. He was committed. He was surrendered. As a matter of fact, over in Philippians chapter 1, Paul wrote famously, For to me to live is Christ. Every day I live is another opportunity for me to serve Jesus. But to die is gain. If someone takes my life, if I die, hey, I get to go be with Jesus in heaven. That's better anyway. 
So Paul lived his life with this this reckless abandon for the glory of Christ. He was a man of radical commitment. Barnabas was a man of radical encouragement. Everywhere you see him, he is helping other people in the church. He is making a difference with the way he is encouraging others. And listen to me, the body of Christ needs both kinds of folks. The body of Christ needs those folks of reckless abandon for the glory of God, willing to take risk and follow Jesus wherever he leads, radical commitment. But they also need those people of radical encouragement that are helping those that are not as far along as others are. The church needs both. And these men, because of their personalities, because of the way they were wired, they viewed John Mark differently. Look what it says in verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And so uh, Barnabas says, let's take John Mark, who is his cousin, we learn in Colossians 4. And, and Paul says, no, I, I don't want to take John Mark. Now why did, did Paul not want to take John Mark? Well, turn back to Acts 13 with me. Acts 13, verse 13, we see what happened on the first missionary journey that gave Paul pause as to whether they should take him on this second missionary journey. Acts 13, verse 13, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, that's Cyprus, and came to Perga and Pamphylia, that's Asia Minor, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now that's all the information we get. We don't know why John Mark left them and went back home to his mother's house in Jerusalem. Now, we can, we can guess, can't we? Probably something like homesickness uh, overtook John Mark. He was uh, a young man at this time, and he was probably homesick, or maybe he was fearful about the next step. He didn't know what was coming, and, and he just wasn't ready to continue on this missionary journey. So he, he left, and he went back home. And, and Paul is viewing John Mark through the lens of radical commitment. And he's saying, hey, that guy doesn't have the spiritual, the physical, the emotional fitness to go on another missionary journey. We, we don't want him to, to weigh us down or slow us down or have some trouble on our way. So, so we need not take him. Now I want you to know that, that what Paul's saying is, is important. We have... Uh, mission agencies uh, in our in our nation that send people out, and they interview folks to 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 get a feel for their their physical, their emotional, their spiritual fitness to see if they're going to be a good allocation of resources to go to the other side of the world. They're viewing through the lens of radical commitment, and Paul's viewing Barnabas through the lens, um, viewing uh, John Mark through the lens of radical commitment, but Barnabas is viewing John Mark through the lens of radical encouragement. And he understands, hey, John Mark may have messed up. He had a weak moment in his life on that first missionary journey, but God's not through with John Mark yet. So let's, let's take him again and see what God does with John Mark on this journey. So because of the way that Paul and Barnabas were wired, they looked at John Mark, again, very differently. I like how Warren Wearsby writes it. He says, Paul looked at people and asked, what can they do for God's work? While Barnabas looked at people and asked, what can God's work do for them? 
Both questions, Wearsby writes, are important to the Lord's work. And sometimes it is difficult to keep things balanced. We need to ask each other, hey, what can you do for God? What can you do for the Lord's work? But we also need to understand that we're all works in process. We need to ask each other the question, hey, what can God's work do for you? What do you need in your life to grow in your faith? Both questions are important. And, and Paul and Barnabas are asking different questions about Barnabas' life. And because of that, they disagree. So what do we learn? Godly, good people can disagree. That's what happens in this passage. But here's another lesson about conflict. Emotions can get in the way of resolving an issue. This is so important. Now, I believe there was probably in Acts 16 or 15, there's probably a way for them to come to an agreement about the best way to proceed with John Mark. Maybe set up some sort of system of accountability for John Mark. Maybe say, hey, we'll take you to this city and see how you do, and we'll make a decision whether we take you to the next city. There's probably some sort of way that Paul and Barnabas could have figured out a way to take John Mark with them. But as they are discussing this issue, emotions get in the way. How do you know that? Well, look what it says in verse 39. It says, there arose a sharp disagreement, a sharp disagreement. And the Greek word there, translated sharp disagreement, is the word uh, paroxmos. It, it speaks of a severe argument based on intense difference of opinion. So they're not just having a civil discussion here. It gets heated. And because of the emotions of the moment, instead of coming to some sort of way to work this out, they split and go to different directions. Emotions got in the way of resolving an issue. If two people are disagreeing about something and, and they're, they're trying to seek a way forward, maybe a way to compromise or come up with a plan that works for both parties, if emotions get involved and emotions begin to rage unfettered, then that, that conversation is going to go south quickly. And instead of, uh, instead of compromise and resolving the conflict, there's going to be a split. People going two different directions. Emotions can get in the way of resolving conflict, right? I mean, you've experienced, I've experienced this. Emotions getting in the way of resolving something in a godly way. Now, I, I grew up in, in, uh, in church. I was a Baptist before I was a Christian, which you know is possible, right? I was, a Baptist. I was a Baptist when I was a baby. I was saved when I was nine years of age. But I, I grew up in a Baptist church, and so I was around church enough to see people disagree on things and see contentious you know, business meetings or see people disagree on something in a, in a public setting. And, and the, the, the instances I remember related to that, every time the, 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 the environment was emotionally charged, People were very emotional, and the emotions got in the way of resolving the issue. Of saying, hey, let's pray about this. Let's, hey, let's take out the Word of God and see what the Word of God says about this. Let's study God's Word together so that we can come to a, a wise biblical resolution. I, I didn't see that a lot growing up because when there was conflict, emotions seemed to get in the way of resolution. So you and I need to be on guard, don't we? When we do find ourselves in conflict, when we, when we do find ourselves disagreeing, when we are trying to find a way forward and it's difficult, we need to make sure that the Spirit of God has control of our emotions. Because if the flesh gets control of your emotions, things will go south quickly, right? That, that's true in marriage. It's true in the workplace. It's true in the body of 
Christ. Emotions that are unhindered uh, by the control of the Spirit of God in your life can make a mess of things, right? We learned that. They're, they're discussing an issue, but sharp disagreement, paroxmos, occurs, and they split and co two different directions. And so we learn in this story some lessons about conflict. But number two, we learn some lessons about second chances. Now we have the benefit of studying this passage uh, with the rest of the story told. In other words, we have the rest of the Bible to see how things played out from this, from this passage. So we can learn some principles about the power of second chances. And here's what we learn from this story. Barnabas did not give up on John Mark. Look what it says in verse 39. There arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And so Barnabas, the encourager that he was, did not say, Hey, John Mark, you blew it the first time. Hey, you're not going to be able to serve God in this capacity anymore. No. He says, John Mark, you go with me. We'll go on a missionary trip together. And we see here that Barnabas, once again, puts his arm around somebody and encourages him. Barnabas did not give up on John Mark. And here's what I want you to learn this morning. His investment in John Mark paid great dividends. Again, we have the rest of the Bible to learn what happened after this story. And here's what we learn. We learn that John Mark continued to serve Jesus, and John Mark became a valuable uh, member of the body of Christ and the advance of the kingdom. For example, turn over to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. This is Paul writing. Remember, Paul didn't want to take John Mark on the, the trip with them. Paul Thought that John Mark was a quitter. It's probably what was happening here. But look what Paul says about John Mark years later, after John Mark again began to serve and get back in the game. Colossians 4, verse 10. Paul writes, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. So Mark is with him. He's sending Mark on an important um, uh, important mission to go and Spend some time with the church in Colossae. And so we see here that, that Paul has a totally different perception of John Mark now. Now he's a part of the team, right? And turn over to Philemon. you got First, Second Timothy, Titus in the book of Philemon. It's only one chapter. Look in verse 24 of Philemon, this letter that Paul wrote to Philemon. Actually, verse 23 is where we will begin reading. Philemon, verse 23. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. And so now, as we see Paul write these letters, John Mark is a part of his team. And it gets even better. Look what he says about John Mark in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Turn there with me. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I love this verse. Paul's writing the letter of 2 Timothy from prison, and he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Luke alone is with me. As I'm writing this letter, Luke is here with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Do you see the, the, the 180 that Paul made? When he at one time said, no, we're not taking John Mark with us on another trip. Now he's saying, hey, Bring John Mark. He is very useful to me. 
Because Barnabas made an investment in John Mark, because Barnabas gave John Mark a second chance, we see that John Mark is used in remarkable ways in the story of redemption that we read in the New Testament. And so, Barnabas's investment in John Mark paid great dividends. And here's what we learn from that. Here's the principle that we all need to glean from this. We shouldn't give up on fellow believers when they stumble and fall. We shouldn't give up on fellow believers when they stumble and fall. When people blow it, when people mess up, when people have weak moments, that's when they need a Barnabas to put their arm around them and say, hey, let's get back into serving Christ. Let me help you. Let me walk with you. People need that encouragement when they stumble and fall. Because here's the deal. All of us stumble and fall, right? No one's going to reach sinless perfection this side of heaven. We're all going to have things that we deal with. And so if you want people to give you a second chance when you mess up, maybe you should extend second chances to other folks when they mess up. Amen? We should learn from this, that that it is right to give people second chances, to put our arm around those that are struggling and help them to get back into the game. Lessons about second chances. There is power when we extend second chances to each other. In the 1929 Rose Bowl, Georgia Tech was playing the University of California. And in that game, Georgia Tech fumbled the ball, and a defender for Cal picked it up and began to run in the wrong direction. His name was Roy Regals, and he ran 65 yards in the wrong direction. As a matter of fact, one of his own players had to beat him to the goal line and tackle him before he went in for a touchdown for the other team. And then, after he tackled him, they they couldn't get a first down. They had to punt from their own end zone. The punt was blocked, and Georgia Tech got a safety. It was just a train wreck. As a matter of fact, after that game, people started calling him Wrong Way Regals because he got the fumble, went the wrong way. Now, what's interesting about that story is what happened at halftime. The team goes in to the locker room, and the coach, Coach Nibs, has to address them. And here's what Coach Nibs said. The the locker room was quiet, but here's what he said. The same team that played the first half will play the second half. In other words, hey, I know that Roy Regals has blown it, but guess what? He's starting on defense the second half. He's going to be back in the game. And after that, he told us he to get back out there and play. And the, the locker room of Cal emptied out, except for one man, Roy Regals. His coach walked up to him, and Roy Regals was in tears. He said, Coach, I've let my team down. I've let you down. I've let the university down. I, I, I don't want to go back out there. There's no way I can go back out there and play. And here's what Coach Nibs said to Wrong Way Regals. He said, Roy, get up and go back. The game is only half over. And the record records that the Georgia Tech players noticed how passionately, how fervently Roy Regals played that second half. He was a man on fire because he had been given a second chance. Listen to me. If you found yourself going the wrong direction in your walk with Christ, listen to me. 
it's time for you to stop and get back in the game. As long as your heart is beating and your lungs are breathing, I want you to hear me, God is not through with you yet. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Say, wait, I stumbled. I I blew it. I messed up. God's not through with you yet. He wants you to get back in the game. And there's power when you and I extend second chances to each other. Instead of putting hurting believers on the shelf, we need to put hurting believers back in the game with some encouragement. Helping them to understand that God has a plan and purpose for their life. And so we learn in this passage some lessons about conflict and we learn some lessons about second chances. But here's the third thing I want you to see. There are some lessons about God's sovereignty. Some lessons about God's sovereignty. Here's what I want you to understand. God can work through our mistakes and our blunders and disagreements to advance His kingdom. Did you hear what I just said? God can work through our mistakes, our blunders, our disagreements, our fights, our quarreling, our wrong decisions. He can work through it all to advance His kingdom. What I want you to understand is, even though Paul and Barnabas were unable to agree on a way forward, even though they split, even though emotions got in the way in the midst of the conflict and the conflict was not resolved, God still moved through the situation. And God still expanded His kingdom through this situation. There's some good that came out of this. Let me just walk you through some of the good things that came out of this incident. First of all, two teams went out instead of one. Look back with me in in Acts chapter 15. Look what it says in verse 39. Acts 15 verse 39. It says, they had a sharp disagreement. They separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him, sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas, departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So uh, Barnabas and John Mark went to the island of Cyprus. Paul and Silas went to Asia Minor. They went in different directions. But guess what? The reach of the gospel is greater than it was before. Because now instead of one team going out, there are two teams going out who are passionate about preaching the gospel. And so even though there was conflict that was not resolved properly in this text, God is moving anyway. And God is using it for good. Let me tell you another piece of good that came from this incident. The absence of Barnabas paved way for Silas. Look what it says in verse 40. Paul chose Silas and departed. Barnabas was his right-hand man. And now that Barnabas was going in a different direction, Paul needed a new right-hand man. He chose Silas. And the Bible tells us a lot about Silas. Over in Acts 15, verse 22, the Bible tells us that Silas was a leader in the church of Jerusalem. Over in Acts 15, verse uh, 32, we learn that he was a prophet who said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers in Antioch. In Acts 16, 37, we learn that he was a Roman citizen just like Paul, which would be an asset as they traveled throughout the Roman Empire. I like how R. Kent Hughes speaks of Silas. Listen to what he says. While God did not cause the disagreement or the fateful separation, he used it to guide both men into increased fruitfulness and service. There were now two missionary teams instead of one. Moreover, Silas brought to Paul's ministry some ingredients that Barnabas did not have. He was a Roman citizen. He was a prophet. He probably spoke Greek, and he served as Paul's stenographer. Though Barnabas was a great loss, Silas was a great gain. So God uses this disagreement to put Silas in the game, to get Silas involved in a greater way. As we work through Acts, we're going to see that Silas plays a very prominent role in the missionary journeys that 
that transpire. And it's interesting to note that Barnabas is not even mentioned again in the book of Acts. But Silas is. And so the absence of Barnabas made way for Silas. And here's another piece of good that came from this incident. John Mark's absence from Paul's team made way for Timothy. Over in Acts 16, 1-5, we see that Paul chose Timothy to, to probably take the place of a John Mark, a young man, uh, on their team to go with them. Uh, Timothy was that, that man that he chose. I'm going to preach about that next Sunday. We're going to talk about the making of a man of God from Acts chapter 16. I'm excited about preaching that. Uh, so we won't get into it today, but just notice that because John Mark was not on the team, Timothy came, became a part of the team. And so even though... There's conflict here. Even though emotions got in the way of resolving the conflict, God's still moving, isn't he? And in spite of their blunders and their weakness and their frailty and their, their decisions, God is still moving to get the gospel out. You see, God is on his throne. And God works in and through us even though we are so weak. Did you know that? It, listen, if it were just up to us, to our wisdom and our strength, we would make a huge mess of things. Aren't you glad that God gets involved in the process? And God even works through our messes to continue to advance His kingdom. I'm grateful for that. Jonathan Edwards was a well-known pastor and theologian in the 1700s. Uh, Maybe the brightest theological mind that our nation has ever produced. He was a pastor of a church in Northampton, and God used sermons like Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God and other sermons as a catalyst for revival. As a matter of fact, uh, historians trace the first great awakening back to the ministry of Edwards in Northampton. A great revival swept the land as he pastored that church. Great preacher, great theologian, great pastor, heart on fire for God. And guess what happened later on? His church fired him. They fired Jonathan Edwards. They fired him. I mean, this guy is the, the, one of the greatest minds has ever been produced for the glory of God and from our nation and they fired their pastor. You think, what a train wreck. Why did they fire him? Well, there was some disagreement about who should take the Lord's Supper as a theological issue, and, and Jonathan Edwards took one position that the majority did not take, and so they fired him. You say, wait, that was very unfortunate, and it was. But guess what happened next? Jonathan Edwards moved to Stockbridge and began mission work to the Native Americans in that part of the country. And he began to preach the gospel to the Native Americans and had great impact in that area for the glory of God. So even though from our perspective, a church firing someone as renowned as Jonathan Edwards looks looks really terrible, but guess what? God used it. And God put him on the mission field among the Native Americans and he did great good there. You see, God is on his throne He is sovereign, and He can even work in spite of our messes and our weaknesses and our mistakes and our shortcomings and our disagreements and our silly fights. He can work through all of that to accomplish His will. So what do we need to glean from all of this? This this brief passage in Acts 15 that speaks of a, a famous disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, two great and godly men. Here's the point. Here's what I want you to walk away with today. We are in desperate need of God's grace. 
as he works through imperfect people to advance his kingdom. Let me say it again. This is so important. We are in desperate need of God's grace as he works through imperfect people to advance his kingdom. Guess what? There are times I blow it. How about you? I'm imperfect. You're imperfect. And there are times we're going to stumble and fall. There are going to be times when we see things differently. There are going to be times we go in the wrong direction. But God in His grace, if we'll allow Him to have His way, God in His grace will move in spite of our weakness and use us for His glory. What I want you to walk away with as we study this passage is this. We need God. We're weak. We're imperfect. If anything of eternal worth is going to happen, we need the Lord. Let me give you a little bit of information. This may, this may not give you a whole lot of confidence, but let me just tell you where I am. I am weighing over my head. I'm just coming clean. You need to understand, you're a pastor. I'm weighing over my head, the growth and all that's going on. I'm weighing over my head. My only hope is that God will work in our church in spite of your pastor. To make us effective for the glory of God and the advance of the gospel among the nations. We need grace. They say, what about all the good stuff that's happened at our church? Planned in 2002 and the way we've grown and all the things that have happened. Lottie Moon Christmas. What about all that? Listen to me. Grace. If there's anything good that happens at Longview Point, it's God's grace. If there's anything good that comes out of my life or your life, guess what? It's God's grace. Listen to me. God has been better to us than we deserve as individuals, as families, as churches. I'm so grateful that even though we stumble and fall, and even though we are so very weak and we lack so much wisdom that we need to make a difference, God is still at work. He's sovereign. He's on His throne. So if you walk away with anything from this message, walk away with this. We are in desperate need of God's grace because if it's left up to us, we're going to make a mess of things. Amen? We need God's grace.